Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cinematic Schematic, the official podcast of thecinematropolis.com, your home to thoughtful conversations on film, and this year's podcast media partner for the Dead Center 2023 Film Festival. I'm your host, Caleb Masters, and today we are taking a look at a film that is both playing at this year's festival, but is also going to air. It's called Juneteenth, Faith and Freedom. Now, before we get into today's film, I just wanted to quickly note that if you're enjoying the podcast, you can make sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever your podcasts are found. Uh, we have a ton of exclusive Dead Center interviews that, if you haven't caught up with, can all be found on that podcast player. Or you can head over to thecinematropolis.com to get all of the audio content as well as our written reviews and essays. Now, let's get to the film. The paper said on the 19th of June, 500 people gather. Paper says the police couldn't control the mob. Wait, hold on. So the 500 people that gathered, this wasn't a Juneteenth celebration? <laughs> Not by a long shot. Was what happened on June 19, 1865 in Texas, really the end of slavery in America? Slavery, at its essence, is control. And so what happens in the South is a struggle to control. The mentality of the state seemed to have been, we're not going to let them go. You can miss the humanity when you emphasize 10 million slaves, right? We want to talk about someone's son, someone's daughter. And on June 19, 1865, somebody got freedom. Somebody's child got freedom. Somebody's mama got freedom. Somebody's grandmama got freedom. And when that happened, that's like an exodus experience all over again. According to a shortened version of the description from the Dead Center website, Juneteenth Faith and Freedom is described as a black American troubled by the legacy of American slavery and the misuse of Christianity to justify it. He travels throughout Texas discovering how the Juneteenth reveals faith and a fight for freedom in an unjust society. Joining me today... We have three of the filmmakers behind the film. I'm going to start, actually, with the film's director, executive producer, Yaki Smith. Yaki, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Real pleasure. Uh, next up, I want to introduce uh, another one of the film's producers, Mary Beth Minnis. Mary, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Uh, and last, and certainly not least, very excited to welcome the film's writer, producer, and host, man of many talents, Rizul Berry. Rizul, welcome to the Cinemax Schematic. Thanks, Caleb. Juneteenth, despite being celebrated, I would say, by the black community for quite a while, if not, you know, since the origin, uh, it hasn't really been recognized as much of it, not until 2021 as a federal holiday. And I just want to kick things off by asking you all the question, why do you think right now is a good time to be talking about the history of Juneteenth? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll start by saying, because I wasn't born or raised in Texas. I was born in Philly. And so that wasn't, Juneteenth wasn't a day that we knew a lot about or celebrated at all. It wasn't until later, you know, on going to college, hearing about uh, Juneteenth that it started to be on my radar. And um, and then over the last few years, with a lot of the awareness and conversation around race and around history and the struggle uh, for freedom, people have kind of rediscovered the value of Juneteenth around the country. Like so even in places I live in New York City. And so the move to make it a national holiday, we thought created a unique opportunity to really educate people because even the black folk, white folk, Hispanic, Asian, there are a lot of people who don't know what that day really means and is about. And so uh, we thought it would be a great opportunity to um, really introduce people to the idea and also to the theme 
of the struggle for freedom, which we think is very much still at the heart of what we are experiencing today. I think about the story, there's, uh, I, I give a brief synopsis, but I'd love to hear from one of you. Can you give us a little bit more about the, the broader strokes of the story? What should the audience know? The film follows me as somebody who's trying to understand more about uh, what Juneteenth is, but specifically through the eyes and stories of the descendants of those who were emancipated on that day. So, like, as somebody that, whose folks came up from the southeast part of the country, South Carolina, Georgia, I don't really know what day my ancestors experienced freedom. And um, so it's very vague and, and part of our family tree. But to go to Galveston and to Houston and Dallas and to see so many people who, like, their family story really was uh, traced back to that day, uh, really helped me to understand more of why they kept that story alive and also why to them that story still matters. Yeah, so I think, uh, again, uh, huge education being a huge goal here. Uh, on myself, I don't think I had really a, g- a firm grasp on what it was until ballpark of like three or four years ago. Right. And even then, I still feel pretty ignorant of some a lot of the, the details. What was the collaboration like between the three of you in terms of figuring out, hey, what is the best vehicle for telling the story or best way to compile these narratives to really make sure that we're, you're getting the message out? Yeah, it's interesting because Rasul and I met because I wrote a devotional for our daily bread um, about Juneteenth. And the woman at the time who uh, actually asked me to write that devotional, she sent me an email one day and it was interesting because she just said, Rasul wants to make a film about Juneteenth. (laughs) And my response was, well, who is Rasul? (laughs) And she was like, oh, my bad. And then she kind of gave me an idea of who he was and then she connected us. This was in January, no, December. Yeah. It was in December. And so we started talking about it. And I remember when Rasul said, okay, so I want to shoot this film. We're going to make a feature and we're going to shoot it in six days. Wow. Like a feature documentary in six days, I've never never heard of it. So at first I was like, I don't know if we're going to be able to pull this off. But I, I kind of sat with it over the Christmas holiday. And then we circled back at the beginning of the year. And as I sat with it, I thought two things. One, I've never really seen a film that, in my opinion, really detailed the history of Juneteenth, right? You have, like, little things that'll give you a snippet here or a snippet there, but there was nothing that was really expansive. And so I said, I want to be a part of that. And two, because I'm from Texas um, and have always celebrated Juneteenth, not only did I want to be a part of telling the story, but I wanted to be a part of something that, in my opinion, will go down in history as being a part of the legacy of Juneteenth. And so Rasu and Matt, who also works for our Daily Red, who was our cinematographer, they came to Austin. That must have been, must have been in February. February 22. February 2022. And for two days, we sat and we basically outlined the film. So we sat in a, a conference room at UT. I'm a professor at UT Austin. And we basically went down and we were like, okay, we need to interview this person. We need to interview that person. Okay, so where do they live? Okay, so where are we going to start? Are we going to start in Galveston? Are we going to start in Houston? Are we going to start in Fort Worth? Like, what are we going to do? We got to get Miss Opal Lee because that was a big thing. We were trying to get Miss Opal Lee and we couldn't get her at the time. And it came through at last minute, but it, it happened. And so we literally said, and we, again, we walked through the whole piece. So we knew exactly what it is that we wanted to cover. However, in a documentary, which is very different from narrative, you never quite know, right? Because you assume that somebody will give you a certain piece of information, but they may not, right? And there was one person in particular who we thought we were going to interview, um, and that just didn't work out. Actually, there were a couple of folks who we went through and said, well, maybe this person is good, and we realized, "Mm, maybe they're not the right person. Maybe this person over here is. 
because as we were thinking about what their contributions would be, one, we didn't want to double up too much, and we wanted to make sure that we weren't getting um, competing narratives about Juneteenth. Uh, very important for documentaries, yeah. Mm. Yeah, mm. and there are competing narratives, right? And I think that's what one of the fil- one of the things that the film does well is it kind of tries to dispel some of those narratives that may be false, and then also in many ways reinforce the narratives that historically are true, right? Um, and so, yeah, we just sat, we figured it out, um, and then we went out and we shot. So it was like a labor of love between all of us, really figuring out, like, what is the best way to approach this? And I think we approached it well. So did you pull it off in six days? We did. Incredible. <laughs> Kudos, guys. I mean... Oh, it gets better. Okay, okay go on. <laughs> Not only did we pull it off in six days, we finished shooting April 2nd, 2022. We put it out in June. 2022. <laughs> wow. What was it, June 7th or something? June 7th. Yeah, June 7th. Mm-hmm. Yep, we so just guys celebrate our anniversary. edited in like a month. Yeah, basically. <laughs> basically. Oh, wow. That's super impressive. Oh, yeah. man. And uh, I want to dig a little bit more into some of the ideas related to faith uh, being a part of how you, faith has often been used as a, mm-hmm. a tool to control mm-hmm. groups of people. I know it's a fine line because a lot of the people who probably need to see this mm-hmm. documentary might have the preconceived ideas about mm-hmm. faith and what the relation to slavery is, for mm-hmm. example. Uh, how did you guys walk that line about such a nuanced topic? Because it's tough. Like, very, I'm sure very tough. Mary Beth, you're going to get up in here at, <laughs> at some point. Um, but I'll, I'll start it off. Um, I think the funny thing is we wanted the story to do the t- t- talking for us. And one of the things that had initially prompted my curiosity was discovering that an early name. So there were a lot of nicknames for Juneteenth. Some people call it Emancipation Day, Freedom Day. One of them was Jubilee Day. Mm-hmm. And Jubilee was a uh, biblical reference. In the Leviticus 25, I call it the Super Bowl of Jewish festivals. Um, it was supposed to take place once every 50 years. And it involved the total reimagining of society. Uh, those who had been in debt would have those debts forgiven. Those who had lost their lands and their homelands would have those restored and those who were enslaved would be set free. And so it was called Jubilee because people were having a party because it was that. And so for me to see these um, formerly enslaved people make this connection between this biblical account of this festival, this command that uh, the you know God of the Hebrew Bible had instituted and to say that's there's something in my story that is reflecting that truth was really profound. Um, and then when you see in uh, the Luke in the New Testament, when Jesus announces himself, he says in Luke 4 that the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, vision to the blind, liberty to the oppressed. And it says the, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And this was the verse that uh, Yaki actually had, had written about in his article. And that year of the Lord's favor is a reference to Jubilee. And so on the one end, you have this reflection that folks see. But then it's also interesting that there's this other narrative that you see also, which was the way that um, Christianity would would be distorted and the Bible would be distorted to justify or the attempts to justify slavery. And so we just kind of told the story as it was. Like the first Juneteenth celebration happens at a church. So right there, if you're going to tell the story right, you got to go there. You got to go to Reedy Temple, AME, right there in Galveston, still there. The folks are still worshiping there. And so, um, so we just wanted to be faithful to the story. And I think even in the American context, that tension of use and misuse of scripture, and even today is still something that is, uh, is a significant part of the story. Yeah, and it's interesting, too. I just want to add something to that. You know, for me, 
just being a black Christian, right? Sometimes, you know, I was, I was saying this the other day, my uncles were like, you know, Nation of Islam, Black Panthers, and I grew up Christian. And there was always this tension of why are you, and ask my mom this obviously, why do you got that boy down there at that church? They're just trying to indoctrinate him, right? Um, and it's interesting because as I got older, quite honestly, I, I started to have to renegotiate my faith because in some instances, to be honest, that's true, right? There are parts of Christianity that are about indoctrination, about control, um, about making certain individuals docile, right? But I think the thing that's beautiful about this narrative is that you see how black folks took a faith that in some ways was used as a weapon against them and they turned it into something that actually got them free, right? When I think of Harriet Tubman, she says, I woke up from a spell and God said to me, I must set my people free because this faith, again, that it had been put in her and right, her enemy thought, again, that that enemy was using it for something bad, but it turned out to be something really good for her. And I think for me, as I watched this narrative, and even though we were talking about outlining it, that's the thing that I really wanted to see is how did these individuals take this thing and turn it into something beautiful, right? When you think of the civil rights movement, right? Mm. A lot of that strategy, right, that happened in churches, yeah, right? All of that happened in churches. It wasn't just about coming in and talking about the Bible, right? This was about really strategizing. How are we going to, again, fight against this oppression? How are we going to be financially stable? How are we going to educate our people, right? How are we going to make sure, again, that we leave a legacy, right? Mm. And and so for me, that's, that's the thing that I wanted to make sure that people got when they watched this film is that, again, these individuals took something and they made it a beautiful thing, even though it was used as a weapon against them. I, I mean, I, th- I think this really speaks to the the deep spiritual connection they're able to find. That's you're able to recognize the difference. What's true is the faith, right? Well, Mary Beth, how did you get roped into all this? Well, I think it's because I live in Austin. <laughs> but um, I've been friends with Russell Berry for many years and have a lot of respect for him. And he came to town to meet with Yaki and discuss the making of this film. And as I learned more, I wanted to jump in and help in any way that I could and really come alongside them and help them do what I think they were meant to do and fill in the gaps and think of things that they weren't thinking of and help us go farther maybe with this film than originally envisioned. Can I, let me try to break that down from what I can see because <laughs> she's kind of underselling it. If you're a football fan, and on defense, there's a free safety, right? Uh-huh. So, like, everybody else has, like, a particular person that they are meant to defend. You know, cornerback, wide receiver, linebacker. The free safety just kind of roams and just makes sure anything that gets past everything else, I'm hitting that. That's what Mary Beth did in this. Like, just any part that there was a gap that was a connection. This was my first time being a part on the production side. So, I mean, some of it was therapeutic. She was like, okay, like, it's going to be all right. This is what's, this is what's going to happen. Um, this is but true. even just the fact that she's, you know, produced so many films, um, just had a lot of experience and even connecting us and continuing to have a big vision and support and prayer, all the things. So, so she was our free safety. Thank you. <laughs> we'll start to wind down the conversation. A couple of last questions though. Number one, and we can just go around the table. People see this documentary. What is the experience or idea or feeling you hope that they take away from, whether to empower them or to challenge them? Yes. <laughs> it's both, really. Um, I think um, you will get challenged. You know, uh, Yaki, that's his trademark. Um, he is a hard-hitting <laughs> filmmaker that just, 
aggressively grabs you by the lapels and, you know, and, and, and makes you see reality in a way that is oftentimes something we want to avoid or avert our eyes. He makes you keep a good look at that. And I think when we talk about a topic such as millions of people being trafficked across continents, um, it needs to have a level of, of challenge and in, in, in a way of thinking about ourselves. But we don't leave you there. Um, we also do inspire and give you hope because that is also a part of the Juneteenth story. It's this mixed, complex, lament, celebration, reflection, like take a breath and you go through all of those experiences in the film. And so by the end, though, what we continue to hear is that folks feel like they want to be a part of the solution and the continuing of the story. And, uh, and that's what we think you'll leave off when you watch it. I like to be challenged, so uh, oh, yeah. it's got me amped. Yeah. Well, I think one of the things I love about this film is that it's it's there's something for everyone. So if you've been celebrating Juneteenth your whole life, you're going to watch this film and be inspired and so encouraged to to hear these stories and to follow Rasul on his journey. But if you know nothing about it, you will feel like you have a seat at the table to come to sit and to learn and be inspired and and challenged. Absolutely. 100%. And not only that, I want to mention there's a soundtrack that accompanies this film. And that's also an incredible opportunity to celebrate Juneteenth is to get this album wherever you get your music, Spotify, Apple, etc., and listen to it. And it will take you on the journey of Juneteenth. And you'll go from the poet laureate of San Antonio vocab taking you there and then rejoicing with Lecrae, Lecrae yeah. and Show Baraka and Propaganda and hear hard-hitting rap. Um, it's all there. It's celebratory, it's lament, it's challenge, it's all in one. So make sure you check out the album as well. So the album is also the title? Yep. Uh, Juneteenth Faith and Freedom? Yes. All right. I'm, motion I'm, picture sound. What is it? Original motion picture soundtrack. There we go. I'm going to download it the second. As soon as uh, this interview is done, awesome. I'm going to go on Spotify and, and uh, make sure it's on my playlist. Yeah. Your key? So I had to find my James Baldwin quote. I have a terrible memory. But the quote is, not everything that is faced can be changed but nothing can be changed until it is faced. And for me, kind of going off of what Rasul said, I think it's so important that when you leave this film that you first acknowledge what happened. Because I think right now there is such an attack on history and trying to rewrite history that we think that we can come to the table and like have conversations and change things, but you can't change anything until you actually face it. And so first and foremost, let's just acknowledge what happened. There's, great, there's a great sequence where... Um, Reverend Michael Waters brings out all of these artifacts from slavery and he breaks these artifacts down. And it's painful to watch at times, right? It's even painful for me. There's a postcard in particular that is very painful to even think about that somebody would take a photo of somebody being lynched and then send it around and say happy birthday to someone, right? But these are truths, right? And, and I think we got to acknowledge those truths. And then once we can acknowledge the truths, then we can sit down and begin to strategize, okay, how do we move on from here? But the commonality in all of it first is we got to say that this thing happened this way and this is true history here. And I think with this film, what we do is we first give you that history. And then in my opinion, by the time you leave it, not only do you leave inspired and challenged, but you leave wanting to do something. You leave wanting to figure out how can you make the world a better place? How can you come out and actually fight for racial justice and social justice? Like what can you do to get alongside the people that have been paying the most and actually help them 
to be completely emancipated, right? Because there's a physical emancipation, spiritual emancipation, but then we still fighting for something right now. And I think we're still in the middle of that fight, and we need our allies to get alongside us. And I hope that when you leave this film that you become an ally and that you say, whatever I can do to push you ahead, whatever I can do to stand alongside you, whatever I can do to undergird what it is that you need in order to get the things that you really need to have, that I'm, I'm going to uh, be there to do that. And so I hope that when you leave that that's what you get out of the film. Yeah, I, well said. Challenged, inspired, and motivated to, to learn more and know how to support. Well, to wrap us up, I know this uh, film is going to be playing very soon. Uh, Mary Beth, maybe you can uh, fill us in on the details. Where can people uh, watch the, the documentary, uh, but also keep up with the film online? Yeah, absolutely. So we are thrilled that PBS will be airing this film across the country. We're just thrilled about that. So check your PBS local listings to see how you can watch it there, as well as the PBS app. And um, it's also available on YouTube right now. You can watch our trailer there, and you can watch the entire 75-minute version of the film. Awesome. Well, listeners, don't miss it. I think by the time you're listening to this, Juneteenth is only a day or so away. So carve out some time. I think it's going to be worth it. Thank you so much for joining the Cinemax Mag today. So Mary Beth, Rasul Yaki, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks for having us. All right, listeners, and uh, make sure if you enjoy this conversation to check out more of our work on the Cinemax Schematic or over at thecinematropolis.com. <laughs>